This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The holidays are nearly here, which means it's time for cooking, eating, memory making, and of course, gifting. Lodge Cast Iron Cookware makes the perfect gift for anyone on your list. Classic skillets and pans that work hard year-round, specialty bakeware that's big on holiday charm, and enameled cast iron that helps make the season bright. They've got your gift list wrapped right up. Lodge Cast Iron helps you bring memories to your holiday celebrations and is made to last for generations. Go to lodgecastiron.com to shop their full collection. Lodge wishes you happy holidays. And the Southern Foodways Alliance, for their longtime support of this podcast, thanks Lodge. Welcome to Gravy. In this episode, Kayla Stewart explores the history of Black-owned grocery stores and markets. You'll hear from Black business owners who are trying to increase food access in Black communities. Why do Black-owned businesses matter in Black communities? Well, Kayla and the people she talks with have some ideas about that. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories of the changing American South. For centuries, Black Americans have been finding their own ways to feed themselves and their communities. From farms to grocery stores to corner store establishments, Black folks in the South have created their own ways to gain access to fresh food, demonstrating that one size doesn't fit all. We want to teach these communities how to fish. And the reason why it's so important, and it's more than just, you know, sustaining your own food sources or being in control of that, it's more about also reintroducing, um, giving true access, real access to entrepreneurialism. That's Christopher Williams, chef and owner of Lucille's in Houston and founder of the nonprofit Lucille's 1913. Chris, who's both a friend and colleague, is the great-grandson of Lucille B. Smith, known as one of the first Black businesswomen in Texas. Her impressive career spanned the culinary arts, education, and entrepreneurship. She wrote a cookbook of 400-plus recipes, served her lauded hot rolls and chili biscuits to figures like Martin Luther King Jr., Joe Lewis, and Eleanor Roosevelt, and developed some of the earliest culinary training programs for Black students at HBCUs in Texas. And Lucille's career deeply influenced Chris. Outside of his restaurant, which is regarded as one of the most important Black-owned restaurants in Texas, Chris has also been recognized for his volunteerism. One of the many goals of Lucille's 1913 is to combat food insecurity in underserved communities. And Chris and his team have served thousands of health-conscious and culturally relevant meals to Houstonians in need. During the Texas winter storm of 2021 and during the early months of the pandemic, Lucille's played a key role in getting fresh food and meals to people around the city. Since then, Chris has looked for ways to increase fresh food access to Black communities. 
It's why we met in Kendleton, Texas, a small town less than an hour outside of Houston with its own rich black history. Kendleton is a historic African-American community that was really established around Reconstruction. Um, And it was one of the first free communities in Texas and also a community of entrepreneurs where there are tons of farmhands out here like this. They were known um, nationally for some of their produce specifically watermelons. Since then, a lot has changed. Kendleton is still primarily African-American, and it's still a beautiful place. But today, that fresh food is almost non-existent. In fact, it's about 15 miles from any market or grocery store that sells fresh produce. Chris, a native Houstonian, decided he wanted to do something about it. Over the weekend of Juneteenth, he officially opened Bates Allen Farm. We wanted to create this farm out here to provide them direct access to fresh produce um, at a a significant savings because you take the commute out. That's one huge part. And then um, the fact that we're growing it, we're growing this produce with the residents themselves. We're hiring from this community. The farm's mission is twofold, making fresh food more accessible and resurrecting a farming tradition that had previously sustained the community. Well, we're bringing this education and this mastery back to the community that was already masters of it. Referencing the often high prices at grocery stores, people can come and grab whatever they need. Visitors can pay what they can for okra or a few pounds of sweet potatoes. Next year, Chris plans to begin selling food that will account for about 60% savings compared to other grocery store chains. What we're doing is we're growing food that's specifically for, speaks specifically to the palates of this community. We know what our elders like, you know what I mean? They want the collard greens, they want the sweet potatoes, they want the cabbage, they want the squash, they want the okra, and they want their um, purple whole peas. That's what they want. Chris is part of a growing number of Black American culinary leaders looking for ways to provide fruits and vegetables to Black people who are, for various reasons, located in food deserts which are defined as low-income areas where a large number of residents don't easily have access to a grocery store or a place to buy good quality fresh food. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Farmer John Agriculture is known for its produce offerings. And at Black Market, Kentucky, grocers sell healthy and affordable food to combat food apartheid, which is defined as a system of institutional racial segregation and discrimination that divides those with access to an abundance of nutritious food and those who have been denied that access due to systemic injustice and racism. Chris is proud of his work, and he wants other Black people to do what he's doing, own, operate, and maintain their own farms and grocery stores. So he's also training young Black Americans about entrepreneurship and farming, too. We're trying to create a model to where people can not only learn how to work, how to farm, how to work the earth, master the earth, pull the harvest, but then also get to learn about the entrepreneurial side of it. They not only get to see the field work, but they also get to see the grocery store work and the management of that inventory, the, 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 turn, the, the, the life cycle of, of, of the vegetables, how you turn it, how do you make a profit off this stuff, even though the profits aren't our thing, profits is how we keep the thing going. The farm is less than a year old, but Chris already has his sights set on expansion. By 2023, he's hoping to add a farmer's market that still prioritizes the needs of the community. His goals mirror patterns of other Black leaders in the South. In Columbia, South Carolina, Uncle Willie's grocery store has become a welcome addition to the community. 
both for its offerings and the black owner behind it. Uncle Willie's Grocery Store in the Elmwood neighborhood for all of your grocery shopping needs. This mom and pop shop is your one stop for local favorites, everyday basics, and everything in between. They sell the whole nine yards. In April 2022, Krista Williams opened Uncle Willie's Grocery Store in Columbia, South Carolina. While she's not related to Chris, they share a surname and a similar mission. She wanted to bring quality food access to her black community in the historic Elmwood, Cottontown area a community that's historically been underserved. You see a lot of uh, corporate grocery trains that may be moving on or expanding in more faster growing areas where you have people who are at the height of their careers and still are having children. There have been things that uh, different stores have experienced, retail stores have experienced um, in particular areas. And so you've seen almost a mass exodus of uh, grocers. And Krista says this mass exodus creates local problems. When you have a community with vacant buildings where a lot of big corporations have left, now you have a lot of crime and illegal activity going on. And when those grocers left, a lot of residents, particularly older residents who might struggle with technology or accessing public transportation, struggled to get groceries. Krista, a native of Santee, South Carolina, has lived in Columbia for decades and has been active in the city's local politics. Uncle Willie's is the first new grocery store to open in the Elmwood, Cottontown area in years, and Krista fought to get the city to understand why a grocery store in this area was important and why it needed someone from the community running the store to truly be successful. The county council or other officials or representatives in the communities have spent years talking with different corporate chains who never decided, hey, we want to come back to this particular area of town. It would it would have to come from within the community um, to come up with a solution. Why wouldn't we have someone in the community that would, you know, take the challenge and just start a small store? Krista's vision for the store was rooted in community, like the neighborhood grocery stores that used to be common in Black communities. My vision, when asked about what what I, my plan would be for having more access to healthy food, was having more independent grocery stores, uh, it, which is not a new concept. Um, many of our parents and some of us have grown up and can and may vaguely remember the mom and pop shops that a family owned that had grocery that was right there in the immediate neighborhood. To bring her vision to life, Krista leaned on these memories and focused on the needs of people in her community. Just understanding the idea of serving the community and relying on people that are already in the industry um, and utilizing them as mentors, I was able to get the store established. Opened in April of this year, Uncle Willie's is small but mighty. Unlike massive corporations, Krista offers many essential and common grocery store items, like elbow macaroni or juice. But she may have one or two brand options instead of five or six. She prides herself on offering products that may not reach African-American shoppers at corner stores and smaller convenience stores, which are often the only available grocery options in Black communities. Customers will come in and say, well, now I don't have to go on the other side of town um, to get 
this particular brand or to get something gluten-free or to get something grain-free or to get this superfood powder. Um, and, and in some cases, I'm literally the only vendor that I know of in the immediate area that have certain products for um, our consumers out there. And what's especially important are the relationships Krista gets to build with customers at the store. You're able to have more of a close um, personal conversation with shoppers and actually explain to them why it's necessary or why it's uh you know, better to eat particular things over the other or why they should try this particular product. While Black Americans make up about 40 percent of Columbia's population, there aren't many Black-owned businesses. Krista says that for that reason, her store has been a source of pride for the Black people in the city. I think for the African-American community coming into the store, they feel a sense of empowerment. And then when they come into the store, they feel like, This store is a great representation of our culture. Chris and Krista have both found their own ways to bring better, more affordable food to Black Americans. But according to Dr. Psyche Williams-Forson, while grocery stores and farmer's markets are great options, they aren't the only solutions. After this break, Dr. Psyche Williams-Forson shares the historic context and the social necessity for Black food sovereignty. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead, follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them Gravy said hey. Travel the highways to Loretto, Kentucky, and you'll find the Maker's Mark Distillery. A National Historic Landmark, the distillery welcomes visitors from all over the world to experience bourbon the way the Samuels family intended. The bourbon was created by Bill Samuels Sr., but the distillery in the bottle, with each bottle hand-dipped in that iconic red wax, was the brainchild of his wife, Margie Samuels. Today, Margie and Bill's grandson, Rob, runs a distillery and invites everyone to stop by and experience a home place of Maker's Mark just the way his grandparents had with friends and great bourbon. For their dedication to the craft of quality bourbon making and their support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank them. Maker's Mark crafts bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. When we start talking about um, grocers and grocery stores, we have to think a little bit further back to Africans in America who were merchants, traders, um, hucksters, vendors, right? Because that really has been, if you will, the sort of genesis of of Black folks as as grocers. That's Psyche Williams-Forson, professor and chair of the Department of American Studies at the University of Maryland College Park. She has written extensively about Black food and identity, 
most recently Eating While Black, Food Shaming and Race in America. In that book, Williams Forson explores the history of food shaming in black communities. For example, she addresses the long-standing theory that soul food is destructive to black communities and challenges readers to think about the other ways in which black health is often weakened, such as racism and lack of access to the quality of life many white people get to experience in America. When I asked her about the significance of black grocery stores, she asked me to turn to the history books. So in some ways, when you think about black folks, I think, you have to expand the definition of grocery store um, to include um, maybe vending on the side of the street. And you may have a number of different types of things that you're, that you're selling. Williams Forson says that after the Civil War, Black Americans were able to be much more mobile. Newly freed African Americans were selling things like food and household items out of their homes or in any spaces or buildings they could acquire. Over time, these selling models transitioned to what we now consider corner stores, or small spaces selling canned goods and various household items. Citing the work of historian Juliet E.K. Walker, Williams Forson says that regardless of how these grocery stores were structured, racism battered their potential success. Most early grocers um, had limited success, right? Especially when compared to white merchants. Partly, she says, because um, capital then, like now, was an issue, right? Inadequate capital, which contributed to their failure. And then she also said a lot of Black merchants encountered a lack of consumer confidence. um, And their business ability was called into question. Um, she talks about several Black grocers in the Reconstruction South, in particularly in South Carolina, um, and how they struggled. And so after a short period of time, um, even in selling things like confectionaries or which would be sweets and things like that, confections, or crafts, or again, canned goods and so forth, um, they they just weren't given the levels of support. And my own research supports this, that a lot of times because early Black businesses were not as well stocked as white businesses, so a lot of groceries went out of business. Despite these challenges, Black business owners persevered. Similar to Krista, Williams Forson remembers mom-and-pop stores in her community. Recalling a personal experience in her former home of rural Virginia, Williams Forson says that not only did these smaller stores and corner stores help provide resources for underserved communities, they also helped residents who may have been experiencing financial hardship. Now, I'll never forget, it was almost like a shotgun house. You could just, you go and straight through from one end, from the front door to the back door. And, you know, Mr. Coles was in there in his apron and so forth. And he had sparse things, but enough that, for example, my uncle, who was an invalid, could send any of us to the store and say, can you get me the following things? A block of, a block, you know, a wedge of cheese, some um, thick slab bacon, a loaf of bread, a loaf of white bread, a thing of jelly. And I remember Mr. Coles would then pull out a brown piece of paper, like literally could be ripped from a paper bag, 
and he would write down the total. He would lick his pencil and write down the total. And then he would say, you know, tell your uncle he owes me $6.50. And he kept him on credit. And then when my uncle got his, um, you know, disability check or what have you, we would go ahead and, and pay the bill. Williams Forson says small shops like this were all across the country, in small and rural communities, as well as major metropolitan areas like St. Louis, New York, L.A., and D.C. While Williams Forson acknowledges the importance of grocery stores, in her book she argues that other general stores that are sometimes undervalued actually play an important role in Black communities. Here's where I advocate for making use of dollars dollar stores and other smaller venues that provide food because when you're dealing with places like Dollar General, Dollar Tree, or any other of those kind of, you know, really inexpensive stores, and I know they were in the news of late as being less than positive places for acquiring food, and I don't disagree, but when you have to feed your baby or if you're elderly and you have medication, or if you're young and you have medication and you're on a fixed income, in a pinch, those places could provide some ready possibilities. Places like dollar stores and corner stores are the only available option for some communities. Not only is it possible to acquire food in different ways, our history, in fact, shows that it's often necessary. We have always, as Black people, acquired food from different sources, whether it's from our own pantries, our neighbors, the local um, small mom and pop shop, or um, just the local small business, or whether it was from a larger uh, grocery store. What I think it's important for all people to do, and certainly Black folks to do, given the ways in which we are often and frequently shut out of opportunities and spaces to acquire what we need, especially depending upon where we live, but also the struggle with access, et cetera, is to remember that food can be acquired in lots of different ways, and oftentimes it has to be. For Chris and Krista, it's important that Black people have a range of options that are healthy and perhaps most important, accessible. It's evident that Black folks are trying new and innovative ways rooted in Black history and Black business ownership to get quality food to those who need it. And for Chris and Krista, it's all about leaning into lessons from the past to try new things to engage their communities. So I feel like, especially people of color, taking back our communities um, one building at a time by actually filling up those storefronts and creating some of our own resources within the community. What we're trying to provide with these programs that we run is um, one, show you the benefits of the work, you know, and how it's really not that difficult, but hopefully we'll be able to, people will be able to find some passion in it and see how to run a business in the process because we're all gonna learn and do this stuff together. And regardless of where one gets their food, Williams Forson says it's important to respect people's choices and remember that the complexities of life means that we're all making decisions to get through each and every day as best as we can. Food acquisition, just like food discussions, are way more complex than we make them out to be. 
And I think we do people a disservice when we gravitate toward one option and advocate only for it without opening up the larger range of conversations that need to be had because we're all different. We all have different lives and the making of food decisions on any given day is an extremely complex process that involves so many different facets of our lives that we really can't afford only to recommend to people that you acquire food in this one way. Across the country and in the American South, Black people lead unique lives, and how they get their food varies widely. And for many, leaning into lessons from the past and having hope for a better future that makes a range of food options more accessible to Black communities across the South is the most promising way forward. Kayla Stewart produced and reported this episode. In addition to her audio work, Kayla is a food and travel writer and the co-author of Emily Maggot's Gullah Geechee Home Cooking. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Thanks to fact checker Katie King and editor Olivia Terenzio. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is my co-host, Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter is our publisher. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch SFA's film about our 2018 Edgerton Prize winner, Jermaine Jenkins, and Fresh Future Farm, based in North Charleston, South Carolina. Fresh Future Farm's mission is self-determination through food justice. And after watching that film or listening to this podcast, please consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy.